0: Leolam va'ed.
1: Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of the glory of his kingdom forever and ever.
0: Amen. Sh'ma Yisra'el Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Echad Baruch Shem K'vod Malchuto Le'olam
1: V'ed Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of the glory of his kingdom for ever and ever, Amen. Good morning, Mishpacha. Welcome to the Daily Audio Torah. I'm Laura Densmore, your host, and I'm so glad you're joining in with me today. Today is Monday, August 14th. It is prophesied in the Book of Amos that in the last days there would be a famine in the land, not a famine for food but a famine for the word of God, as it is written in Amos eight, eleven, and 12. Behold, the days come, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea, and from the north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, and shall not find it. Even in the days of Joseph, there were seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. He had stored up grain for the seven years of famine. The Daily Audio Torah is your storehouse where you can get grain. It is 20 minutes every day of pure scripture flowing out, living manna to feed your spirit. Are you being blessed by this ministry? Please consider supporting Daily Audio Torah. Today we continue the Torah portion Shaftim and it means judges. Deuteronomy seventeen eleven to eighteen eight. After they have interpreted the law and declared their verdict. The sentence they impose must be fully executed. Do not modify it in any way. Anyone arrogant enough to reject the verdict of the judge or of the priest who represents the Lord your God must die. In this way, you will purge the evil from Israel. Then everyone else will hear about it and be afraid to act so arrogantly. You are about to enter the land the Lord your God is giving you. When you take it over and settle there, you may think, we should select a king to rule over us like the other nations around us. If this happens, be sure to select as king the man the Lord your God chooses. You must appoint a fellow Israelite. He may not be a foreigner. The king must not build up a large stable of horses for himself or send his people to Egypt to buy horses. For the Lord has told you, you must never return to Egypt. The king must not take many wives for himself because they will turn his heart away from the Lord. And he must not accumulate large amounts of wealth in silver and gold for himself. When he sits on the throne as king, He must copy for himself this body of instruction on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. He must always keep that copy with him and read it daily as long as he lives. That way he will learn to fear the Lord his God by obeying all the terms of these instructions and decrees. This regular reading will prevent him from becoming proud and acting as if he is above his fellow citizens. It will also prevent him from turning away from these commands in the smallest way, and it will ensure that he and his descendants will reign for many generations in Israel. Remember that the Levitical priests, that is, the whole of the tribe of Levi, will receive no allotment of land among the other tribes in Israel. Instead, the priests and the Levites will eat from the special gifts given to the Lord, for that is their share. They will have no land of their own among the Israelites. The Lord himself is their special possession, just as he promised them. These are the parts the priests may claim as their share from the cattle, sheep, and goats, that the people bring as offerings, the shoulder, the cheeks, and the stomach. You must also give to the priests the first share of the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and the wool at shearing time. For the Lord your God chose the tribe of Levi out of all your tribes to minister in the Lord's name forever. Suppose a Levite chooses to move from his town in Israel, wherever he is living, to the place the Lord chooses for worship. He may minister there in the name of the Lord his God, just like all his fellow Levites who are serving the Lord there. He may eat his share of the sacrifices and offerings, even if he also receives support from his family. Nehemiah 7.73-9.21 7, In October, when the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled with a unified purpose at the square just inside the water gate. They asked Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses. Which the Lord had given for Israel to obey. So, on October 8th, Ezra the priest brought the Book of the Law, the Torah, before the assembly, which included the men and women and all the children old enough to understand. He faced the square just inside the water gate from early morning until noon and read aloud to everyone who could understand. All the people listened closely. To the Book of the Law. Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform that had been made for this occasion. To his right stood Mattatiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah. To his left stood Padiah, Mishael, Melkijah, Hashum, Hashpadana, Zachariah, and Meshulam. Ezra stood on the platform in full view of all the people. When they saw him open the book, they all rose to their feet. Then Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people chanted, Amen, Amen, as they lifted their hands. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Joshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamim, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalita, Azariah, Jazebad, Hanan, and Peliah, then instructed the people in the Torah, while everyone remained in their places. They read from the Book of the Torah of God and clearly explained the meaning of what was being read, helping the people understand. Each passage. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were interpreting for the people said to them, Don't mourn or weep on such a day as this, for today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. For the people had all been weeping as they listened to the words of the book of the Torah. And Nehemiah continued, Go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites too quieted the people, telling them, Hush, don't weep, for this is a sacred day. So the people went away to eat and drink at a festive meal, to share gifts of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because they had heard God's words and understood them. On October 9th, the family leaders of all the people, together with the priests and Levites, met with Ezra the scribe to go over the Torah in greater detail. As they studied the Torah, they discovered that the Lord had commanded through Moses that the Israelites should live in Sukkahs during the festival to be held that month. He had said that a proclamation should be made throughout their towns and in Jerusalem, telling the people to go to the hills to get branches from olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees. They were to use these branches to make shelters in which they would live during the festival as prescribed in the Torah. So the people went out and cut branches and used them to build shelters on the roofs of their houses, in their courtyards, in the courtyards of God's temple, or in the squares just inside the water gate and the Ephraim gate. So everyone who had returned from captivity lived in these shelters during the festival, and they were all filled with great joy. The Israelites had not celebrated like this since the days of Joshua, son of Nun. Ezra read from the book of the Torah of God on each of the seven days of the festival. Then, on the eighth day, they held a solemn assembly, as was required by law. On October 31st, the people assembled again, and this time they fasted and dressed in burlap and sprinkled dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent separated themselves from all foreigners as they confessed their own sins and the sins of their ancestors. They remained standing in place for three hours while the book of the law, the Torah, of the Lord their God was read aloud to them. Then, for three more hours, they confessed their sins and worshipped the Lord their God. The Levites, Jeshua, Bani, Cadmiel, Shebaniah, Buni, Shebadiah, Bani, Kanani stood on the stairway of the Levites and cried out to the Lord their God with loud voices. Then the leaders of the Levites, Jeshua, Cadmiel, Bani, Hashabina, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, and Pathathiah, called out to the people, Stand up. And praise the Lord your God, for he lives from everlasting to everlasting. Then they prayed, May your glorious name be praised. May it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the skies and the heavens and all the stars. You made the earth and the seas and everything in them. You preserve them all, and the angels of heaven Worship you. You are the Lord God, who chose Abram, and brought him from the Ur of the Chaldeans, and renamed him Abraham. When he had proved himself faithful, you made a covenant with him to give him and his descendants the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Jebusites, and Girgashites. And you have done what you promised. For you are always true to your word. You saw the misery of our ancestors in Egypt, and you heard their cries from beside the Red Sea. You displayed miraculous signs and wonders against Pharaoh, his officials, and all his people, for you knew how arrogantly they were treating our ancestors. You have a glorious reputation, that has never been forgotten. You divided the sea for your people so they could walk through on dry land. And then you hurled their enemies into the depths of the sea. They sank like stones beneath the mighty waters. You led our ancestors by a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night so that they could find their way. You came down at Mount Sinai and spoke to them from heaven. You gave them regulations and instructions that were just, and decrees and commands that were good. You instructed them concerning your holy Sabbath, and you commanded them through Moses your servant to obey all your commands, decrees, and instructions. You gave them bread from heaven when they were hungry, and water from the rock when they were thirsty. You commanded them to go and take possession of the land you had sworn to give them. But our ancestors were proud and stubborn, and they paid no attention to your commands. They refused to obey and did not remember the miracles you had done for them. Instead, They became stubborn and appointed a leader to take them back to their slavery in Egypt. For you are a God of forgiveness, gracious and merciful, slow to become angry, and rich in unfailing love. You did not abandon them, even when they made an idol shaped like a calf and said, This is your God who brought you out of Egypt. They committed terrible blasphemies. But in your great mercy, you did not abandon them to die in the wilderness. The pillar of clouds still led them forward by day, and the pillar of fire showed them the way through the night. You sent your good spirit to instruct them, and you did not stop giving them manna from heaven or water for their thirst. For forty years you sustained them in the wilderness, and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. 1 Corinthians 9 1 18 Am I, Paul, not as free as anyone else? Am I not an apostle? Haven't I seen Yeshua our Lord with my own eyes? Isn't it because of my work that you belong to the Lord? Even if others think I am not an apostle, I certainly am to you. You yourselves are proof that I am the Lord's apostle. This is my answer to those who question my authority. Don't we have the right to live in your homes and share your meals? Don't we have the right to bring a believing wife with us, as the other apostles and the Lord's brothers do, and as Peter does? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have to work to support ourselves? What soldier has to pay for his own expenses? What farmer plants a vineyard and doesn't have the right to eat some of its fruit? What shepherd cares for a flock of sheep and isn't allowed to drink some of the milk? Am I expressing merely a human opinion, or does the law say the same thing? For the law of Moses says you must not muzzle an ox to keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. Was God thinking only about oxen when he said this? Wasn't he actually speaking to us? Yes, it was written for us so that the one who plows and the one who threshes the grain, might both expect a share of the harvest. Since we have planted spiritual seed among you, aren't we entitled to a harvest of physical food and drink? If you support others who preach to you, shouldn't we have an even greater right to be supported? But we have never used this right. We would rather put up with anything than be an obstacle to the good news about Yeshua, don't you realize that those who work in the temple get their meals from the offerings brought to the temple, and those who serve at the altar get a share of the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord ordered that those who preach the good news should be supported by those who benefit from it, yet I have never used any of these rites And I am not writing this to suggest that I want to start now. In fact, I would rather die than lose my right to boast about preaching without charge. Yet, preaching the good news is not something I can boast about. I am compelled by God to do it. How terrible for me if I didn't preach the good news. If I were doing this on my own initiative, I would deserve payment. But I have no choice, for God has given me this sacred trust. What then is my pay? It is the opportunity to preach the good news without charging anyone. That's why I never demand my rights when I preach the good news. Psalm 33, 12-22 What joy for the nation whose God is the Lord, whose people he has chosen as his inheritance. The Lord looks down from heaven and sees the whole human race. From his throne he observes all who live on the earth. He made their hearts, so he understands everything they do. The best-equipped army cannot save a king, nor is great strength enough to save a warrior. Don't count on your warhorse to give you victory, for all its strength it cannot save you. But the Lord watches over those who fear Him, those who rely on His unfailing love. He rescues them from death and keeps them alive in times of famine. We put our hope in the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In Him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in His holy name. Let your unfailing love surround us, Lord, for our hope is in you alone. Proverbs 21, 11 and 12 If you punish a mocker, the simple-minded become wise. If you instruct the wise, they will be all the wiser. The righteous one knows what is going on in the homes of the wicked. He will bring disaster on them. I want to speak to you today from our reading in Deuteronomy 17 and 18, and then we're going to jump into Nehemiah 7 through 9. And I want to back up, actually, in Deuteronomy to chapter 16, starting in verse 18, which was something that we covered yesterday in the Sunday reading. And it was the very beginning of the team Torah portion. And so team means Judges. So I just want to start with those first three verses from that Torah portion, Deuteronomy 16, verses 18 through 20. It is written: appoint judges and officials for yourselves from each of your tribes in all the towns the Lord your God is giving you. They must judge the people fairly. You must never twist justice or show partiality. Never accept a bribe. For bribes blind the eyes of the wise and corrupt the decisions of the godly. Let true justice prevail, so you may live and occupy the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So he gives instruction about appointing themselves their own judges that would rule and judge righteously and not pervert or twist justice or show partiality. What happens when you show partiality? What what happens then is you have a two-tiered justice system. These rules are for thee, but not for me. These rules apply to this group of people, but they don't apply to this other group of people. And as we look around the landscape in our culture, in America anyway, today, we see definitely a two-tiered justice system. And it, it just makes my own stomach just nauseous, looking at the evidence and the facts and the condition of our justice system. So the system has chosen, through the Department of Justice, or should I call it the Department of Injustice, to go after former President Trump and they have arraigned him and indicted him and they're going after him and charging him with trumped up charges, trying to say that he wasn't going to allow the quote election of 2020 to go through. And what they're trying to do, their agenda is to make it so that he can't run in 2024. Muddy the waters, so to speak, and I'm just happening to look at the Epic Times. That's theepictimes.com. It's a great news source, and one of the headlines just from today: Trump demands recusal of Obama-appointed judge in January 6th case, because some of these judges are highly politicized, very liberal, and leaning to the left. Pro Democrat, pro Biden, and they're not going to rule fairly. And another news headline Trump's lawyer vows to fight special counsel's protective order in January 6th case. So Trump has been indicted, and he's got all kinds of legal issues that he now must fight. And yet, on the other side of this situation, we also see. political prisoners that are they're political prisoners and they're waning they're still stuck in the Washington D.C. Gulag more than 900 political prisoners many of them have not yet had a trial or had their day in court or been allowed to even consult with an attorney. They've been cut off from their spouses, from their children. If they happen to be veterans, their benefits have been cut off. And it's illegal. It's it's unconstitutional that they've been in prison this long without any due process. I think about Antifa and BLM rioters in the summer of 2020, leading up to the 2020 election, and in all the big cities in Chicago, in L.A., in Seattle, in Portland, there were huge riots and burnings. They would smash windows and steal things from businesses. They would turn over cop cars and set police headquarters on fire. And if they happened to get arrested, and most of them did not, but if they did, it was catch and release because the George Soros appointed um, prosecuting attorneys, it would just release them, catch and release. And so it really is a two-tiered justice system. And when we see all this, it's very grievous, very, very grievous and you hope and pray that you don't end up at all in the justice system with any kind of a legal matter because it's quite unlikely that you're going to see any sort of justice that would be a ruling from a court judge with the way things are right now. But we see in the scriptures that Yeshua, Yahweh, his instructions and his word Appoint judges and officials for yourselves from each of your tribes in all the towns. They must judge the people fairly. You must never twist justice or show partiality. Never accept a bribe, for bribes blind the eyes of the wise and corrupt the decisions of the godly. Let true justice prevail, so you may live and occupy the land that the Lord your God is giving you. I am absolutely convinced that one of the reasons why Yeshua will be returning when he does is because he needs to set righteousness up once again and deal with all the corruption, all of the injustice and unrighteousness that's rolling out of the court system in America and probably other nations as well. They've been infiltrated by the deep state globalists with their woke agenda. And not all judges are in that place. There are still some good judges out there. But especially in Washington, D.C., um, it's been weaponized. So Yeshua, when he returns, he's going to have this to clean up. And he will rule righteously, with righteousness, with equity, with true justice, without it being perverted or twisted, without showing partiality. Now I want to move on to the reading that we did in Nehemiah 7, 8, and 9. And what we see in chapter 9 is that they are reading the words from the book of the law, from the Torah, Ezra's reading to them from the Book of the Law on each of the seven days of the Sukkot festival. And then on the eighth day, they held a solemn assembly as was required by the Torah. So they kept Sukkot. And then in chapter 9, it says, The people assembled again, and this time they fasted and dressed in burlap and sprinkled dust on their heads, Those of Israelite descent separated themselves from all foreigners as they confessed their own sins and the sins of their ancestors. So there's a prerequisite, um, a principle being shown to us as a specific example. That comes from Leviticus chapter 26, verses 40 to 42, where it is written, if you will confess your iniquities and the iniquities of your fathers that caused me to, walk contrary to you because you're walking contrary to me if you do that if you confess your sins and the sins of your fathers then i will hear from heaven and then i will remember my covenant with jacob and my covenant with isaac and my covenant with abraham and i will remember the land and so The principle has been set forth for us that we can confess and should confess not only our own personal sin, but the sins of our fathers. That can be the sins of your fathers in your literal bloodline, in your family line, but it can also be the sins of your church forefathers, your spiritual forefathers. So that's what they did. They remained and they confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They remained standing in place for three hours while the book of the law, the Torah, of the Lord their God was read aloud to them. So, think about it. In your traditional Sunday church service, how much of the actual Word of God is shared there? Very little it's mostly, they might read two or three verses or four or five verses at the most, and then build a whole sermon around those few little verses. And it's all commentary. It's all analysis. It's all exegesis. But they don't actually read the scriptures in very large amounts. They read the scriptures here for three hours. And then, for three more hours, They confessed their sins and worshipped the Lord their God. So they read the scriptures every single day at Sukkot. And then as they assembled again, they, they read the scriptures for three hours. And then what the word does is it is a mirror. And when we look in the mirror, we see dirt on our face. It reveals to us our sin. And what ought we to do when we see that? dirt on our face, walk away and forget about what we just saw. James says, don't be just a hearer of the word and not a doer of it. If you're only a hearer of the word, it's like a man who looks in the mirror, sees his reflection, walks away and immediately forgets what he looks like or immediately forgets the dirt on his face. No, what the word Its function, the Torah, its function is to cause us to come to repentance. It reveals to us our sin. And then we're to repent. And then we ask Yeshua to forgive us. And then the Holy Spirit allows us to continue on. The Holy Spirit is what helps us to walk in holiness. Without the Holy Spirit, we cannot. But with the Holy Spirit, we can keep the Torah and walk in holiness. So I was just very impressed that how they responded when the book of the law was rediscovered and when they began to institute this is they read it. They read the Torah, they listened to it, they read it aloud, and then they applied it to their lives. And that's what we need to be doing is reading it, reading it aloud, listening to it, and then applying it to our lives and taking time to repent. So if after listening to a portion of the reading from the scriptures for the day, if something that you've listened to, that you've heard, pricks your heart, pricks your conscience, circumcises your heart. Take time afterwards. Hit the pause button. Take time to pray and repent. If something that you've listened to, read, um, pricks your conscience, take that time to pray and process it and to repent. Father, Father, We are living in very trying times. We are living in days where there is no justice in the courts of our land. We are seeing such a tremendous injustice in how the whole matter with Donald Trump is being handled and all the people that attended on January the 6th who were exercising their First and Second Amendment rights to gather peacefully and to assemble and to express their tremendous displeasure to the government that they felt like this, stole, this election has been stolen. This is not a, a correct outcome from the election. And now, because of that, Trump is being indicted, he's being dragged into court, and still 900-plus people are still stuck in the Washington, D.C., Gulag. And have not experienced any justice, and in fact, are being persecuted. Abba, this greatly, greatly grieves our heart. If they can do it to Trump and they can do it to those 900, they can do it to anyone. They can do it to me. They can do it to anyone who is listening. Abba, we cry out for justice in this land. There are many people suffering we cry out, Yeshua, for you to return soon and to execute true justice, to clean out all the corruption, all the partiality, all those who are receiving bribes from foreign entities to do their bidding instead of doing the bidding of the will of the people. Abba, hear our cry. Many, many people are suffering because of this two-tiered justice system. Justice has fallen in the streets. Justice is perverted and twisted. We ask Yeshua for you to implement your justice and do it soon. We love you, we bless you, and we praise you in Yeshua's name.
0: Amen. Hallelujah. Adonai We wish murakku. Yahweh Adonai. V'kunneka Isa Adonai Naav ileka V'yaseh leka Leka Shana.